If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles once again to the portion of Scripture that we read together in 1 Peter chapter 2. And this evening, with the Lord's help, we're going to meditate for a few moments on verse 7. 1 Peter 2 at verse 7, which reads, Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. Dear congregation, as I have been with you just for a couple of days, it's always interesting for me to to visit with people who I've never been able to visit with before and to listen to them and uh, to kind of mark the uh, events that they speak about and to kind of internalize them and take them in and just become a little bit of a, of a student of, of who they are and, in a sense, who, who you are. And it has, has struck me uh, that in the last few years that those of you who are gathered here who are members of this congregation have, have experienced quite a change, not only a difference in location, but a difference in, in gathering and, in a sense, a difference in, in purpose and, and then to spend time with you and listening to you, and I like to walk around the, the living room or wherever we are where you have your pictures of your families and just study them and, and to see the growth of the family and to hear a little bit about the children and the grandchildren and, and to note from some of you saying, well, these pictures here of these grandchildren are, are not up to date. They've, they've changed quite a bit. Here's an, another photo of them a little bit older. And to look on the wall and maybe see your own wedding picture many, many years ago. It's not difficult to see uh, how life goes on and how change truly is, is written large over all of our lives. And I don't know what's happened in your midst, spiritually speaking, beyond what I have been able to witness myself and and hear from others. But I do know this, that there has been change. Some of that change has been difficult, no no doubt about that, and and painful. Uh, Faces that were once familiar uh, have vanished. Voices that once joined ours in Psalms of praise uh, no longer do so. Beloved ones who bowed with us on, in prayer are this evening bowing themselves before the everlasting throne in heaven. Others have passed into a world of darkness and endless eternity. And so truly the word change is, has been written and is written over you at this time. And maybe the Lord has done a work in some of your hearts during this time of change. Maybe it's not affected the congregation only as a congregation, but maybe you individually. Maybe there is one here this afternoon who would say that I'm not the same person I was when I, when I first joined and how blessed a change that has been that you've seen something more of the beauty of Christ the accessibleness of the Savior 
how now he has become the chief among 10,000. He who was described as a root out of the dry ground, you see him in his beauty. The Lord changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and your affections from self to Christ and your eternal destiny from heaven to hell, I mean hell to heaven. And that's the blessed change that only sovereign grace can bring. But you know, it doesn't matter how much changes, there's been something not even Father Time has been able to change, something that has defied his might. And I'm referring to the believer's estimate of Christ. That it doesn't matter if we change locations and and gathering and how many other changes have occurred within our lives and continue to occur in our lives. it's, It's increased. The preciousness of Christ has has increased by degrees, sometimes imperceptibly so. We're carried along by the current of time from one year to the next, but we carry the preciousness of Jesus with us wherever we go. And time may furrow the brow, and time may silver the hair and weaken the memory. It may eat away at the very strength of ourselves, but it has no power to diminish love for Christ. And that tells me that if Christ was precious to you before, that tonight He is still precious to you. Year after year, regardless of how your opinion of others have changed and how other people's opinion of you have changed, your heart would still declare tonight, He is precious. And I think that during a communion season, we need to estimate once more the value of Christ. And so tonight, to those that love Him, the subject will be ever fresh. They'll never tire of hearing about Him. And for those of you who do not know Him, we earnestly pray that the Holy Spirit may this evening withdraw the veil that that withholds Him from your eyes and give you a spiritual vision Christ's beauties may shine forth before you until with the melting cry of your heart you would say, O Savior, Thou art precious to me. And so I hope to use this text that's before us in the seventh verse of 1 Peter 2. Tonight, first, as a a test. Secondly, look at the sweet experience of the believer. And then finally mention sometimes when Christ is more precious than ever. So our theme will be, uh, be the believer's estimate of Christ. A test, the believer's experience, and times he is more precious than ever. First then, a, a test. This passage that we've read together, the seventh verse, is actually 
one of many barometers by which we can determine whether we are a believer or not. Who is he valuable to? Well, the text says only those who believe, who believe with their, with their heart. And I say believe with their heart because there are many who believe in the same way that the devils believe, as is mentioned in the book of, of James. But their faith has never produced something. It's never produced love. Love. And a faith that produces no love produces no salvation. Therefore, if He is precious to you, that preciousness is a sweet evidence that you've been saved by faith. If, on the other hand, you have to admit tonight that you have no experience of the heart of this text, that the preciousness of Christ to you is still a mystery, that simple love for Him is is an emotion that is unfelt, that whatever else you may have, you lack the one thing necessary to justify any hope that you're saved. And I want you to notice tonight, congregation, how basic this text is. It's not complicated. We have a tendency at times, don't we, to overcomplicate something, especially when it comes to the subject of the salvation of the soul. And so if this was a a job application, the advert would read this, no special experience, no miracle, no signs needed. Many people seem to enjoy talking about how difficult it is to know one's salvation and how vulnerable we are to being deceived uh, despite all of our efforts of self-examination. And I, for one, don't buy a word of it. Now, I grant that there are times of difficulty, that there are times of struggle, and I've faced those myself. A struggling because our own weakness is real. And the battle within is real. But this point remains. This point remains. Jesus is precious. Most people who are deceived are those who never bother to put themselves in the sieve to put themselves through the rigors of self-examination. In fact, they want to stay as far away from the subject of self-examination as as possible. Those who truly take it for granted that they're fine, everything is okay, and who 
uh, when a, a probing sermon is preached, well, they see it as application for obviously for someone else. The truly self-deceived are those who are so confident in the soundness of their boat that they never ever test it for leaks. Children, uh, I once uh, passed by uh, a fishing boat uh, down the shore in in New Jersey in one of the large docks where a a lot of charter boats that take people out uh, fishing into the ocean for the day. And I saw a captain of one of those uh, boats, those charter boats, Uh, The vessel was in dry dock, which means it was raised up out of the water. And he was walking around the ship. And I just watched him and observed him as he was inspecting uh, his, his ship. And then after a little while, I, I approached him and I, I asked him what he was doing. And he said he was looking for weaknesses and cracks. And he said to me, better to find them now than to find them on the ocean. That's true. So it is in the life of faith. A time of self-examination, especially when it comes to a a poignant time in the life of the church, a time of the Lord's Supper, it it is a good thing. It's helpful and necessary if we would Know our own hearts. But to claim that determining whether or not we are believers is impossible or is only for a select few of God's people is nonsense. In fact, it's Roman Catholic and Arminian, it is not Reformed. And back home, I've been going with my congregation through the canons of Dort, and if you would especially look at the fifth head of doctrine, you'll see that what I am saying is absolutely the truth of what our forefathers taught. And so tell me, does does conversion make such a small difference that only God can notice it? Is it impossible for me to tell whether I am stumbling around in a pit of miry clay or standing upon a rock in the sunlight? Are the two so similar? There might be some justification for the idea if the tests were so complicated that that no one could be sure. But in this evening's text we actually have an infallible test. It's one that can never fail. And yet it's so simple that even a child can do it. Do you hold Christ as precious in your heart? Yes or no? As our brother elder and I were discussing this afternoon along with my wife, we know who we find precious. You know whether you find your wife precious. You know whether you find your children and your grandchildren precious. 
You don't have to say, I wonder if I love my wife and my children. I wonder if, if, if I love my, my grandchildren. You know as infallibly as you possibly could in your human condition tonight whether you do or not. And so the question that's hidden in the text is, is, is very obvious. Do you hold Christ as precious in your heart? Yes or no? If you can say tonight, yes, I, I do. And, I, and I'm not saying that you have as much love for Him as you wish you had. I'm not saying that you don't see deficiencies in your affection toward Him. Because no one can have that incompletion. But is He precious to you at all? If you say yes, then you are saved. And if you say no, then you are yet in your sin. Many of the old Puritan fathers wrote hundreds of pages, volumes, upon the subject of spiritual refining. And that is the the refiner's fire. And we read some of those Puritan works and we feel like we're being stripped And we read them and sometimes we, we, we wonder if we can find ourselves properly in, in what they are describing. And test after test is used, touchstone after touchstone is applied, and, and the entire man is dissected. And yet, at the end of the day, this simple God-given test you find in them all. If we think we can't know, then we have drunk the Kool-Aid from some foreign man's cup, some system of man's doctrine. The next thing I want to say is this test is not only straightforward, but it is also extremely searching. Many people can tolerate almost anything else in this world, but this terrifies them. You see, it goes beyond appearances, and it touches the inner man. It touches the inner self. It it appeals to the heart's affections rather than to the head or to the deed that we perform. Many people think that, that they know almost all there is to know when it comes to doctrine and, and the Word of God. In fact, you can talk to these people and they have all the doctrines at their fingertips. And they can tell you whether a sermon is orthodox or not, whether the preacher is safe or not. I remember ministering to someone many years ago who's no longer on earth 
who said in one of the visits that I had with her, she said, Minister, I listen to you preach in the morning and then I come home and I listen to a real minister. These people know whether the sermon has the right ring to it. In fact, they're, they're literal bodies of divinity incarnate. And if put to the test of maybe biblical knowledge, they would pass with flying colors. But put to them the test of this text. And their lips close. And they become silent. And then their apparent godliness is exposed as a ruse. They're nothing more than dead bodies dressed in the clothing of the living. They could have triumphed in front of the doctors of divinity, but they falter in front of this simple test that can be given to a child, which examines their love for Jesus. Their public persona is almost impeccable, truthful to a syllable. They're honest as the day is long. They're they're morally strict. They're religiously heavy. Test them by their lives and they'll never be afraid of the outcome. However, test them by their love for Jesus. By the value of Christ to them. And they fail. Can you stand the test, beloved? Do you want it to be applied to your heart? Children, you can think of the AI technology that's going on today, which to me is is just astounding, and I'm quite terrified by it, to be honest. The, The AI robots that are being created, the physical AI robots that are being created, and also especially the... AI that is being created online. But the AI robots that are being created in, in real life, I've seen them, I've, I've watched them, and the robot will move its arms and open its eyes and speak and shows signs of life. but it's only mimicking life, isn't it? It still lacks that one thing, the living spark within. And without that one thing, it's not alive. It seems alive. And so it is with mere outward religion. What they lack is a love for Christ. And if this is missing, then he is still dead in his trespasses and sins. Oh dear congregation, open your heart to the knife. Don't be afraid of it. 
sharp as the blade may be, to those that believe, he is precious. So do you believe? But this test then is also a comforting one. And in fact, how many people fly to a simple text such as this as their, as their only proof of, of their adoption? I'm speaking here of poor, trembling, fearful souls who, who know very little about doctrine, who, who look up in awe at, at those that I just described and wish they knew just a, just a tenth of what they know. But who cling to a text like this with all of their might, like a man who is drowning. And they say, Thou hast said, Lord, Thou hast said that He is precious to those who believe. And I don't know much, Lord, but I do know that Christ is precious to my soul. And so, Lord, may may not I also hope that I have a place in Thee. Is that the language of many here tonight? And aren't there many here who, who actually look forward to this test, which many fear, And say, yes, he is precious to me. I heard about a poor girl who was being questioned by a consistory uh, to, uh, to make confession of faith. And, and she, she appeared to, to them to be a rather mentally dull young lady. And she couldn't answer the questions. Question after question came and she couldn't answer them. And she became more anxious and, and more excited, and, and that made her flounder even more. And then finally, one of the elders exclaimed, My dear girl, what do you know? And with a flushed face and stammering lips, she cried out, I know that I love Jesus, and I know that I would die for him. Blessed knowledge, which surpasses all other knowledge. And as God's representative, I declare to you tonight that if you can say, Jesus is precious to me, then you have the brightest and best evidence that you are His and He is yours. Well, secondly, the text is a sweet experience of the child of God. And so the question comes to us, who is precious? Jesus is. Now, what does that exactly mean? It means a personal living Savior is most precious to the child of God. 
that he's not content with, with a simple uh, affection for Christ's doctrines or even Christ's promises or even Christ's gifts. His feelings are intertwined around the person of Jesus Christ. That to him, Jesus is his brother and friend and companion with whom he walks and talks. And how sad that so many people do not have this experience. Their, their religion is based on a set of, 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 of doctrines and a set of rules rather than the person of a redeemer. If Christ is precious to you, then, then that means that everything about Him becomes precious to you. His name. Just His name is precious. In fact, it becomes the believer's soul music. It's impossible to love someone deeply without being enamored with their name. Not, not because of the name itself. The, a, a name is just, is just uh, the sound makes as, as wind passes through our larynx and our voice box, through our lips and out. That's what a name is. But it's because of the person that's connected to the sound. You're in a crowd, you, you hear a name, maybe you're in a, a waiting room or at the doctor's office or, 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 or some other place, and the name of someone you love is spoken, and, and you don't even have to look up, you, your heart just leaps, just jumps a little, because that name has become intimately connected with the person. And the mere mention of their name causes the heartstrings to start to vibrate. And tell me, was there ever music as melodic as Jesus' name? As the name Jesus is heard, don't 10,000 instruments begin to, to arise in your heart? And couldn't we repeat that word reverently over and over and, and finding it fuller and fuller in the harmony of every note until, until the eyes begin to well up with tears in grateful love. And then the heart becomes, it seems, too, too big for the chest and the, the lips, they burst forth into singing. What is that poem? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. But it's not just his name. It's his person that's precious. And I've already touched on this before, but let me go into it in a little more detail. His person is precious. 
who He is, who He was here on earth, who we read about in the New Testament when God became flesh and and dwelt among us. No matter where we find Him in the New Testament. If we were to walk with the wise magi and follow that gleaming star and it comes to rest over that, that house. Because Jesus is precious to us, we would say, please, let me in. And then take a look at that little child at his mother's feet. It's our Redeemer. It's the ancient of days. And we prone ourselves before Thee, O holy child, and we worship Thee with the the wise men, for Thou art precious as the dawn, O Son of righteousness, and sweet in Thy opening bud, O Rose of Sharon. And then we walk with Him, following Him, Even though we've known Him for His 30 years, we still find Him precious. When Jesus is tried and tired, when He's sleeping in the back of a ship during a storm on the Sea of Galilee, He's precious. When He weeps at Lazarus' grave, when He heals the leper, when He feeds the 5,000, when He raises the maid, when He heals the blind, when He woos and wins the heart of the adulterous woman at the well, He's precious. And then come into Gethsemane with me. And notice how dark that olive grove shade is and how cool the night air is. And let's walk past the sleeping disciples just a a short distance away and, and listen to that sound. Is that the is that the moaning of the breeze through the trees that I hear? No, come closer. Now we can make out the words. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Dear one, is He precious to you then? Can you see Him? Look. He... He fumbles to his knees. And what are those drops that fall? Is there dew on the trees? No, they're the drops of blood that have been forced from his beautiful body because of soul agony. Oh, he is precious. Clothed in the garment of thy blood and crushed with anguish. 
but follow him more. The cruel Roman whip flies, carving out deep tracks in his back. A crown of thorns is thrust through his sacred head, and he stands there a ravaged mess. Is he less precious to you now, believer? Oh no. The more his misery grows, the greater his preciousness becomes. And now listen to that hammer ring. The thud of iron and flesh and wood. Hear the horrible laughs. Savior is crucified. And he who dressed the earth in flowers hangs naked among the stones. His veins are throbbing with fever. Thirst plagues his tongue. His wounds are massive. Will you now turn your back on him, believer? Has he lost his beauty? No, no, no. He is more precious than ever in his shame and dying agony. And look now, his head is drooping. And divine vengeance has finally taken its toll. And Jesus has died. But even that lifeless form is precious. And oh, I envy you, Joseph of Arimathea, the honor of paying the final tokens of affection to him that is so precious. Never before has a grave been so revered as yours in which no man had ever lain before. And now, believer, I want you to look at your Lord once more and bear witness of His worth. Where can we look for Him? It is the Lord's day. It's the morning of the first day. He is not here, but He is risen. The angel declares, and the sepulcher is empty and the the guards lay like dead men fallen down before the risen one. And keep walking and keep looking. He's appeared to his disciples and to Peter many times now. And he has communed with them and he has fed them and he has equipped them. And that last time was when he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he was blessing them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. It is there that we 
would see him now. He has passed through that heavenly city's gates, accompanied by a holy choir, King of kings and Lord of lords. It reverberates along heaven's arches. And he walks up to the eternal throne, passing through the angelic ranks with the great acclamation, Thou art worthy. And he takes his place as sovereign Lord of heaven and of earth. And as the advocate for all of his ransomed people, the high priest of our profession, And he pleads his people's cause before his Father and our Father. What is your opinion of him, dear believer? What does he mean to you? I know your heart's answer. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. Well, lastly and quickly, there are times when Christ is more precious than ever. Times when Christ is more precious than than ever. First, at the time when we are made to believe And can we ever forget that time? For some it's a day, and they remember it so clearly. For some it's even a very hour, but for others it's a a duration. For me it was the period of about two years where I know that it was in that time that the Lord did a a saving work in my life, where, where heaven came to earth and a great change occurred. O happy day that fixed my choice on Thee, my Savior and my God. And how precious Christ was to us back then. And we often return to that memory, that moment in our memory, wishing that we could always feel that joy and and that experience. But there are more times, more times, Tell me, children, when is bread most valuable? Well, it's when someone is starving for a lack of food, of course. When is the sweetest time for a a drink of water? Certainly when it runs over lips that have become parched and dry. Seeing Jesus for the first time as our Savior is like, it's like that. In fact, it's like seeing the sea open before us like a, a passageway from Egypt of slavery to the shores of the heavenly Canaan. precious to see the water gushing from the desert rock. It's precious to see the brazen serpent lifted high above the the people who have been 
bitten by a deadly snake. But there are more times in our own experience He's precious when our when our little ship is bumping against the rocks of this world. And we see a lifeboat coming through the waves. Or when the rope of sin is around the neck, seeing Jesus, seeing pardon and forgiveness. The most beautiful sight in the faithful eye can see Jesus is approaching our soul with forgiveness on His lips and tenderness in His eyes and healing in His wings and a glorious crown upon His head. And you see, it's not only the first instance, but in the day of trouble, in the day of darkness, He's precious as well. And dear one, listen to me. The school of trial is the best place to learn about Christ's worth. Oh, bear me witness, people of God, that you never fully appreciated the value of your Redeemer until you were stretched upon that, that bed of pain, until you, you spent weeks in, in that hospital room, until grief snatched that loved one from your arms and carried a pall of gloom over all of your earthly joys. Until friends failed you and you were driven into closer communion with a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And finally, let me say that he will be precious on that dying day. When all else is gone from memory. And sometimes even words themselves. But in your heart, He is more precious than ever. And I've seen that. Do you realize how precious Christ is, young person? Then go ask that elderly believer with silver hair who's passing through the valley of the shadow of death. where everything around her has become dead to her. And family and friends go almost unnoticed. And even the most familiar names whispered in her ear unheard. I've seen it. And if you could ask her, friend, is Jesus precious to you now? And you look at the smile on those wrinkled lips. She's about to say something. Listen. Yes, he's precious. Even more so now than before. Precious, precious, 
precious Jesus. Dear congregation, He is precious to them that believe. As we look to the Lord's Supper, is He precious to you? Amen. Let us pray. Eternal and ever-blessed Lord, we come before Thee, gracious God, to see even our own hearts open before Thee. And Lord, may it be that there would be many who would be able to say tonight to varying degrees and in different ways, He is precious. And that they would be able to take that and that it would be a comfort to them because that's what lives in the godly. That's what lives in the child of God. And that that preciousness may may grow more and more, stronger and stronger. Lord, that they may be given a quiet confidence in Thee. Lord, also for those who do not know tonight that He is precious. O Lord, wilt Thou make Him precious to them. Show them who they are. Give them a sight of divine vengeance against sin that shall, go pun- uh, shall not go unpunished. And that in the peril of their own situation, Lord, that they would be awakened to flee to the city of refuge that is high and lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ. And that He would become precious to them. And so, Lord, we pray that Thou would apply thy word to our hearts. We commit our way unto thee, even now with the best part of the week already behind us. That Lord, as we move into this week of preparation, that thou would go before us and keep us in the palm of thy hand and then unite us together again in thy perfect time that we may see the, the, the living sermon and the means of grace. Be with us now as we meet for a few moments with uh, the young people's society. Lord, we pray that that would, uh, it would be a benefit to them too, that there may be something that we may take home with us as young people. And Lord, that Thou would in all of these things receive all the glory and praise. All of this we ask for Jesus' sake alone. Amen.